Hello and welcome to Better at Work, the podcast that will inspire you to achieve betterness in your working life. Discover how to navigate the pitfalls, challenges and work jerkery that may be getting in your way. Learn how simple changes, being authentic and even using humor can be game-changing. I'm your host, Carl Quinlan. I've spent 20 years helping people and global organizations to be better. And now I'm here to share my practical tips and real-life stories with you, as well as insights from my conversations with some incredible people. So join me as we explore how we can all be better at work. Because when work is better, life is better. Hello and welcome to Better at Work. Now, I am so delighted to be joined on this episode by Erica Keswin. Erica is a best-selling author, internationally sought-after speaker, workplace strategist and professional dot connector. I'm going to ask her about that. She helps top businesses, organizations and individuals improve their performance by honoring relationships in every context. She was named one of Marshall Goldsmith's top 100 coaches in 20. 2020, as well as one of Business Insider's most innovative coaches. Her first book, Bring Your Human to Work, 10 Surefire Ways to Design a Workplace That's Good for People, Great for Business and Just Might Change the World was published in 2018. And her second book, which is I've got here, Rituals Roadmap, The Human Way to Transform Everyday Routines into Workplace Magic was published in January 2021. Both books debuted as Wall Street journal bestsellers. And I am so happy to have Erica here. Erica, welcome to Better at Work. Thank you so much. So great to finally meet you in person. So delighted to meet you too. Now, Erica, I would love to kick off the conversation by asking you, where did this all start for you? Why did you become so interested in creating better and more human workplaces? What happened in your youth? Where the hell did this come from? So, you know, I was born a connector, you know, kind of goes back to, you know, when you were going to reference my my self-proclaimed title as professional dot connector. But, you know, I always had been one that it was very focused on on just making connections, you know, with friends, with family, with people at work, all of those different kinds of things. I had this moment. It was 1998 and I um, I was engaged to my now husband and I had just gotten a BlackBerry. So that will begin to date me in my 54 years of age. So I had this handy dandy BlackBerry and my husband said to me, you know, we're going to go. I have to go to a conference in Bermuda. Can you go? And I thought to myself, I didn't have any vacation days because I was um, saving them for our honeymoon. But I said, oh, my gosh, I have this device and I guess I could go. So So we went to Bermuda and I landed and I was working on the beach and saw him at night and did stuff. And I remember saying to myself out loud, like, this is the life. This is the coolest thing ever. Fast forward 10 years later, almost to the day, um, we have a couple of kids, we're married, we have three little kids. I now have an iPhone because the iPhone came out in 2009 and I still had my BlackBerry because that was the best phone ever for typing if you had one. I had one, I loved it. Yeah, it was the best phone. So now I'm walking around with two phones, the red light on the BlackBerry, my kids trying to get my attention. And as someone who had always been such a connector, I was really seeing 
the impact that this technology was having on my relationships, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So in contrast to that moment in 1998 in Bermuda, I remember saying to myself 10 years later with my two phones and my three kids, I can't believe this is my life. And so it was really at that moment that I began to have this deep interest, both at work and in my life, of the the interrelationship of people and technology, and specifically the impact of technology on, on human connection. Oh my God, the Blackberry, that red light flashing on a Saturday night when I used to go, who's emailing me now? Um, how interesting. So you were just fascinated by that connection between the two. I have to say, I sometimes think back and go, God, wouldn't it be nice to have worked in the 50s when you didn't have all this technology bothering you all day long? You could probably get into flow more without all the distractions. But wow, so that's where it all started for you. Actually, it leads me to my next question, which you probably may have answered, because in your LinkedIn, you talk about being that uh, dot connector. Tell us a little bit more. I mean, does that mean you're good at matching friends up on dates and everything as well? well, well or? That, that's sort of a side hustle. So, oh. um, my, so I worked um, in executive recruiting and, you know, my job was connecting great people to great jobs. I've spent 25 years in the human capital place. And so really thinking through you know, connecting people internally to new jobs. So it really has been a theme. And then my side hustle, I've actually set up three marriages and I'm Jewish. And so in the Jewish religion, it means I have a direct line to heaven. Like I've already checked that box. I need three. So I have three. And yeah, I'm just a, a connector all around, which is why when I thought, when I began to see the impact that technology was having. You know, when I when I started to write Bring Your Human to Work, I was interviewing companies and I'll never forget, I went to this very prominent global law firm. They have a big fancy office here in New York City. And I was sitting with one of the partners in, a, in the corner office. And she said that one of the issues she was having was that the associates were asking her if they could call in to the conference call with the client from down the hall, you know, that people were not really valuing those in-person connections, which is hard to imagine. Well, not so hard to imagine now with, with everything we've gone through with the pandemic. All we wanted to do was be in person, but people were coming into an office and were texting each other in the next cubicle and we're really not valuing, you know, some of those connections. And so that, that's what I began to really look at to say, I know how, how, important these connections are in my life, at work and at home. And I think the technology, if we manage it well, can be a force for good in that arena. But, you know, left to our own devices, which is the name of my podcast, we're not connecting. And so one of the tools that I know we'll get into is rituals, is a tool that we can use to to deepen those connections, especially when this technology, all it wants to do is get in the way. I can just imagine that lawyer saying to you that that people are down the hall and they're texting or messaging. Let's get into the book, Erica. Rituals Roadmap, the human way to transform everyday routines into workplace magic. Now, you talk about the importance of rituals and how they ground us. I've heard you say that a few times. Now, what does the research, because you did a lot of research into rituals <laughs> and and how are they important in both work and life? You know, the science of rituals was so, so interesting. Rituals ground us, meaning that rituals provide some order out of chaos. 
is one piece. Rituals give us this sense of belonging to something bigger than ourselves. And they give us an opportunity to, to connect to purpose. And how do you know if something is a ritual? You really, really miss it when it's gone. And you know, one of the things that I found in, um, it's funny, I, I handed in the manuscript for this book on March 30th of 2020. And so many of us were just beginning, we were two weeks into a quarantine that we thought would last maybe a month or two. And I didn't write this in the book, I don't think, but I remember, you know, it was a very chaotic time. I, my mom had been really sick and she ended up passing away in April of 2020. Oh, so sorry to hear that. Thank you. We, we left New York City and we took the kids. We were living in Connecticut and, you know, every all their lives, all of our lives, right, were turned upside down. And we started quarantining on a Thursday. And the following Tuesday, Tuesday is our family ritual typically of Taco Tuesday. And so even though we weren't at home, I thought, OK, you know what, we're going to have Taco Tuesday. And I just remember that kids came into the kitchen and could smell the Taco Tuesday. And, you know, rituals are also very, very connected to our senses. And so yeah. what was a very chaotic time and a very stressful time, this ritual um, in that moment, I could see like their shoulders were up like this and I could, you know, see everybody take it down a notch in terms of stress. And they became more grounded and they knew that even though the world was upside down, like, you know, we were together in that moment. And I, I think they felt that things were going to be OK. I love that. Now, in the book, the real start of the book, you talk about the three P's and I have been peddling these three Ps for quite a while, I have to say, probably owe you money, Erica, for it. But the three Ps, you say that they are very important for a supportive company rituals. Psychological safety plus purpose equals performance. Can you tell us more? Because, you know, it's, it's so fundamental to the start of the book. And I suppose you build everything off of that, I sense. Yeah, no, it's 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 one of the most important things. First, I'll say being in the human capital space, I always find it very important to share not only the stories, but the science behind my work. As many people, I mean, you get it because you're in the space, but oh, it's the touchy-feely side of business. And and my feeling is that the soft stuff is really the hard stuff and the very, very important stuff. And I would say even more now than ever. And so I took all of the science and the research behind rituals and came up with this equation that I call the three Ps. And that ritual, this is what rituals give us. The first P is rituals give us a sense of psychological safety and belonging. The second is a connection to purpose. And the third is increased performance. And you know, there are many studies that support it, but a couple that jump out. One study found that when we feel, you know, a sense of trust, when we can be who we are at work and feel that sense of belonging, collaboration goes up by as much as 46%. Productivity goes up by 50%. Turnover goes down. So all things that we know we we want at work. And again, it shows some of the hard data behind some of these rituals, which which can be softer. But if we don't feel that sense of, of belonging and that connection to purpose, especially, it's really all generations, but especially Gen Z and, and more and more Gen Z are just taking over the workplace. You got to have this or they're going to be finding a job down the street. 
Absolutely. I did some work on purpose in a company in Australia recently, and we spent so much time really kind of clarifying, well, what is the purpose of this company? Where are we going? And, you know, it's something that's going to stay around for quite a while. So you've got to get it right and connect with people on it. But I love that formula, psychological safety. Actually, the psychological safety one, I think is really important. Can you touch on that a little bit as well, Erica? Because I think sometimes people underestimate how important psychological safety is in an organization. It really is one of the most important things. I mean, I would say that that you want to feel that sense of belonging. You want to feel when you're in a meeting, you know, that you feel comfortable, you know, sharing your ideas, your voice. And there's a lot of tips and tricks to to do that, which we can get into, you know, some of the details when you're in a meeting or checking in with people. But, you know, we hear all these, you know, all this data about, you know, diversity and inclusion and how the impact that that has on the bottom line. But you could get all different kinds of people um, in your team, in your organization. And if you only hear from 10% of them, it's really not going to help you very much. And so people aren't going to feel that sense of safety to to push the envelope, to, to disagree if they they really disagree. And that really is the antithesis of what you want in a, in a human workplace. I could not agree more. I've managed lots of teams and it's so important that you hear from everyone because some voices can take over. I'm a very chatty person, so I have to hold myself back sometimes and go, okay, wait now, I haven't heard from Kathy today. I haven't heard from Tony. They're going to have good points and like let them feel safe to bring what they want to say out. What I also see sometimes is you might see other people in the team try to shut down people's ideas, which then they do that a few times. Those people are not going to say anything because they'll feel like I'm not getting any cover from the boss here. You have to provide some cover for them to bring that out and and sometimes shut down the people who are trying to shut them down. Right. A hundred percent. Or I tell some organizations, you know, if they have a ritual and they're checking in with people, I mean, the, the you know, we're sharing something about a project like have the boss go last, because if the person running the meeting goes first, that is going to influence what everybody else says. Or if you have something where you're going to go around, don't you have a lot of introverts on your team? Don't surprise them. Like give them yes. a heads up ahead of time what you're going to want from them. And, and you know, it's interesting. People, I was spoke at a conference yesterday and someone asked me about, you know, rituals in hybrid situations and meetings. And, and you know, I know we're going to talk a lot about meetings, but one of the things that I, I think about a lot right now is the importance of continuing to check in. You know, in the pandemic, people would spend 60 minutes of a 60 minute meeting checking in, then maybe a year in, maybe 30 minutes. And now we're back to normal-ish, kind of, sort of, depending on the variant. We don't want to go back to March of 2020. We also don't want to forget what we saw and how we felt. And many of us felt more connected. So we have to keep checking in. But or and we have to get work done. So one ritual that I talk about is, you know, if you have a team, go around and have everybody share one word that describes how you're showing up today. Just one word. And the goal isn't to solve it, but the goal is to kind of take a pulse in that moment. So let's say everybody goes around and, you know, somebody shares a word that hmm, gives you as the team leader a feeling like, oh, I wonder something might be going up with going on with Erica. It gives you an opportunity to pick up the phone later and reach out and have a deeper conversation. The flip side, though, and where I'm going with this as it relates to your um, psychological safety question is if you try this as a leader and you do it once a week in your team meeting and six weeks in, 
every single person, the word that they give is great, couldn't be better, you know, awesome. There might not be a sense of psychological safety where people feel like they can really say how they're doing. And so that's an issue. That's sort of a red flag to say, what's going on? I agree. I think if if everyone starts mirroring and starts saying the same comment, I'll give you a funny example. I was working in one company where the daily check-in, it became so formulaic. People would say their update was, I'm continuing on with work already mentioned. It would go to the next person. I'm continuing on with work already mentioned. Now, when I joined the team, I'm like, going, but I don't know what work you mentioned, but it seems I've just listened to 20. Sometimes people tell me they're continuing on with work already mentioned. I found it so depressing. I thought, oh, my God. So in one meeting, I actually gave my update. I said, I'm working on this. We're working through the purpose, blah, 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 blah. And I said, so that I can fit in in this team, I'm also continuing on with work already mentioned. And people did start laughing. And then I said, hashtag cowwam, because I was like, CEO, continuing on with work already mentioned. That is hashtag cowwam. And there was a whole load of messages back and forth on teams going hashtag cowam. But sometimes I think you have to break that. Like I'm I'm because Erica, you know, like you said, if you go six weeks in and everyone's saying, great, I'm good. And you go, something's not right here. I thought I've been here for a few weeks and everyone is saying continuing on with work already mentioned. I'm like, Jesus, this is just crazy. <laughs> I love I mean, I love that. I mean, we could. That's really funny. Hashtag cowam. Anyway, we move on because I have to hear about one of your stories. And actually, guys, uh, if you get the book, there's some great stories in here. I mean it. And when I read some of the stories, Erica, I'm like, I could just imagine me being in companies I've worked at and going, oh, my God, this is like we could just stamp this other brand on this. It's the exact same kind of story. Now, you say and I have to get this line in because I loved this in your book and it links to a story then as well. You say humans are better off when they do things that connect them to each other and to their purpose. And you touched on that a little bit. And when companies support them, everyone wins. Now, in the book, there was the New York Times sweet trolley. You call it snack cart. We'd probably call it the sweet trolley. And it was at 4 p.m. every day. The sweet trolley would come around. Now, in a company I worked, I worked at an investment bank. We had the sweet trolley. And I love the story because the sweet trolley got taken away in the New York Times. Tell us, Erica, why you put this story in and why the trolley got taken away and the impact of that trolley leaving. The impact was that you really know it's a ritual when people can't even believe that that all of a sudden something goes away. And so this was something that just happened every day at four. It just came and people would get up. It was less about which suite am I going to get for my four o'clock pick me up, but it was more around you get up and you bump into a colleague and you say hello. And it, it was a ritual. I mean, the definition of a ritual, I should just say, has three parts. One is there's meaning and intention. The second part is that it's a regular cadence. This was every day at four. And the third, which is really to me, the most interesting and something that I hadn't thought about was a ritual is something that goes beyond its practical purpose. So the New York Times, the newspaper is still going to come out the next day, whether or not there's a snack cart. And if the snack cart doesn't come, you can go down the hall to the vending machine. So there's no practical purpose in that sense. Yet there was a real loss when it went away and it wasn't malicious. There was a restructuring and people moved floors and the snack cart one day just didn't come anymore. But it does show 
the the power of rituals. And when I was writing the book and I said to myself, could I really put the word magic in the subtitle? That seems a little bit of a reach. But when I kept hearing like the stories after the stories after the stories, there when 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 a ritual is that sticky, like there really is some of that spark of magic. And I think that was a piece of this little thing that and the impact, the outsized impact that it had when it went away. That was one of my favorite stories in the book because I've seen that when I worked at the investment bank, we had the sweet trolley and it did go away and people were depressed. People were like, what the hell is going on? I actually think men took it worse than women. Women are more likely to share stuff with other women. Men, they need a structure, I think. Bruce Daisley, I saw he had someone on recently on his podcast and he had an article out. It was men have no friends and women bear the burden. And it was saying that men need structure. They need to go to a club, a rugby match or something to kind of feel together. Whereas women don't need that. They can have a chat in the lavatory or, you know, all of that. And I think the sweet trial like getting rid of that in an investment bank where there's a lot of men and it did they lost a lot of that camaraderie in the morning or the afternoon when it came along so your story from the new york times just resonated so much with me because i think you need those kind of rituals it gives people a release it takes the pressure out they've reached a milestone in the day and it's like ah little chat with someone it's great now For anyone that reads the book, they will see that the book traces the employee life cycle from day one to the last day and everything in between. Now, you start with rituals for recruitment, hiring and onboarding, which is super, super important. And there's some great stories in the book as well around this. Tell us a little bit more why you decided to put in rituals around recruitment, hiring and onboarding. You only get one chance to make a first impression. You know, rituals are the most sticky when they're aligned with your values of an organization. And there's no better time to sort of hit people with those values and and give them this example of how the values, this is totally cheesy, but how they come off the walls and into the halls. Like, how do you bring these values to life? And again, create that stickiness. You know, I talk in the book about this concept that I love, start as you mean to go on. And if you want to showcase your culture, there's no better time to do it. Um, I have an example that you haven't heard that I'd love to Ooh, share. Please. It's a new example, and I'm kind of obsessed with it. Ooh. And um, Do I'll I need to get my pen out? You might. You might. <laughs> I'll, Go share, on. I'll share at the end. I'm working on this new book. And in the new book, I'm actually really thinking a lot about onboarding, especially as we've been onboarding so many people in this time, and we're not meeting people in person. But here's the ritual. So the company is called Gusto. They have a ritual called an offer celebration. And what they do is, let's say, you know, I'm being interviewed for a job at Gusto and I interview with six or seven different people and they're going to give me this offer. And typically in a company, when you're given an offer, the internal recruiter or an external recruiter will call and say, Erica, you know, Gusto would like to give you an offer. Here it is. You know, they're so excited. Instead, what they do as a ritual, when I am being given the offer as a surprise, all of the people that have interviewed me are on the call when I am given the offer. And each of them takes 30 seconds to say, Erica, you know what? We're, you know why 
I'm so excited that you're coming because of what, of when you said this in your interview. And the next person says, I'm excited for you to hit the ground running on this. And I've now spoken to people who have been on the, the giving end and, and then people who've been on the receiving end of getting this offer. And I just think, again, rituals don't have to cost anything. They can be so highly accessible. But this one, I, I would like, oh my gosh, and talk about in, in a time when we're in the midst of this crazy war for talent. And I'm, I'm working, I'm going to work with them to get the numbers, but I'm sure the yield on the offers of people that say yes is just through the roof. I have not heard of that either. That is so cool. And how great that would make you feel so good, you know, to hear this is why they're, you'd be walking out the room going, oh my God, this is amazing. I can't wait to start. Yeah, it's real. I just thought it was awesome. Not rocket science. I love that. It doesn't make it easy. And then actually, when I interviewed um, a woman the other day, she said there was actually somebody that in her group that had interviewed her that couldn't come to that call. But immediately when she got off the call, there, had, there was an email from her. I'm so sorry. I had a conflict. I couldn't make your offer celebration, but here's why I'm so excited. And the other thing that it did was, again, this is the ROI, right? When we talk about the impact of these things on business, the woman that I interviewed who had been given the offer said that she, it helped her shape how she was going to start working, like love what that. were everybody else's priorities. I know. See, you're just as excited as I am because we just both love this stuff. My friends think I'm such a geek with this stuff. Uh, you know, I just, I get such a thrill out. Like I read all this, like John Deere, I think they do amazing things when they're onboarding yeah. employees. I like met, I, mean, I haven't spoken to anybody there, but I would love to. I, I, I've read a bunch of what they do. They do some really great stuff. It's all simple stuff. Like, you know, having balloons on your desk on the first day. Normally, when you start in a new job, everyone has raided the desk, right? The people that have been working there for a while, they've taken the best computer, they've taken the mouse and you arrive in and you've got a broken chair, a crappy mouse because everyone's like swiped everything off the desk. <laughs> what? And you're just like, oh, is this my desk? Right. <laughs> so I just love the John Deere go, no, we're going to give you the best desk. We're going to have balloons on it. Your boss is going to take you for lunch on the first day with the whole team. It's just fantastic. It's simple stuff that, as you said, yeah. is easy to do. It's not expensive. Yeah. I love this stuff. And I saw as well in, in your book, and this is what Erica does really well. She talks about the science, of course, but she also sprinkles within the book great little studies like, you know, she'll have the BCG report that ranked onboarding as the second highest impact out of all HR practices. And I know someone is going to go, I wonder what was number one. The number one was being adept at recruiting, which Erica had in the book as well. Erica, I love that. that Glad you that you remember that because I'm not looking at the book right now. <laughs> oh, I remember that. I remember that. But that's one thing to take away from it. You know, you do put in those really great data points as well, which are really useful. Now, I love the chapter on meetings because my God, we've all been there. You know, you're in, you go, oh, I'm in back to backs all day. I'm going to have to start my job at six o'clock this evening. And I mean, I have been there, right? You know, you start your job when all the meetings end, you're just depressed by the end of the day. You're like a rag doll that's just been thrown from one meeting to the next. <laughs> And you just get to the end of the day, okay, I need a drink or something and then I'll do my real job. Tell us a little bit more because you've got some great rituals for meetings just to give them a little bit more oomph. 
I mean, again, I would start with your company and your culture and your values to see what works. But, you know, one of the things I say in the book is that beginnings and endings are what I call prime rituals real estate. And those are really important opportunities for rituals. Um, You know, one of my favorites couldn't be more simple at Eileen Fisher. They ring a chime before every meeting and everybody sort of settles people and they, you know, take a deep breath and they have a moment to get rid of everything that was kind of going, going on, you know, getting rid of the outside and bringing it on the inside. And, you know, how do you know it's a ritual? People would think it was crazy if you had a meeting and you didn't ring a chime. Um, at Toyota, somebody will share an example, like a safety moment, again, linked to their values of safety. And so, you know, lots of different things. There's the, you know, we talked about the the checking in ritual, um, which more and more I'm seeing and, you know, the giving the word. Another exa- Another version of that is going around and just saying, you know, red, green or yellow, you know, red light, green light, yellow light. You're having a red, and what's interesting, if you're having a red light and day, you're like, all right, maybe Erica shouldn't be on the project that's due at the end of the day today. So, you know, all different kinds of ideas. I love them. I mean, there's a few I've used myself over the years. Have you heard of Sumo for meetings? Sumo, no. What, what is it? S-U-M-O, Sumo. Okay. And Sumo is shut up and move on. And it's a nice way of when someone is just talking nonstop, we would say, we're going to have to call a sumo here. And it takes the tension out. It's not rude. And we would always say at the start, we go, right, guys, you know, we may have to do a sumo here because we have got to get a lot through in this agenda. So we all have the right to call a sumo. Oh my God, I might have to use that with my kids. Oh, I use sumo all the time. I bloody love it. That's one um, I've used a lot, particularly when people get a little bit like go into way too much detail and you can't actually get to what you want to get done in the meeting. Now, Erica, the other one that I loved in the book was people are focused on their personal development and taking it more seriously. And you talk about this as something we need in place. We need to place rituals around as well. Now, can you tell us a little bit more on this? If you get a chance, can you share the LinkedIn in day? I loved the in day because you actually got to go to one of these at LinkedIn. Tell us a little bit more. So first, I would say that in addition to really thinking a lot these days about onboarding, I would say the second thing I'm thinking the most about these days is professional and personal development. Gone are the days of IBM and General Motors where you would stay at a company and there were a million rungs in the ladder and you would just keep moving up a little bit every year. Organizations are much more flat. So we as leaders need to be more creative about helping people to develop up, down, and sideways. And again, rituals are a way to to do it. And if it's something that you value, you've got to build it in. So two of my favorite ones, one is LinkedIn. Back in the day, the CFO came up with this idea. You know what? Let's have a day where we invest, that's why it's called in-day, invest in ourselves. And again, thinking about, wow, there is an ROI around doing something other than your normal day job that he really saw the future saying, you know, professional and personal development really is part of everybody's job and really important for the bottom line of the business and retention and all that stuff. So LinkedIn has one day per month called in-day and there's different themes and there's everything from a wellness in-day, which is what I got to attend, to relationships in-day, to creativity in-day. And a lot of their themes are linked to their values. And the way it works is that in all the offices, and it was remote 
all virtual during the pandemic. They have a day's worth of all different kinds of programming in person now and remote. You don't have to go to any of it. And you certainly don't have to go to all of it. You can kind of dip in and dip out in, in any way that, that works for you. And the wellness in a, one of the things, one of the things I loved was that I ran into, I went to a, I did went to a meditation. So I went in person, as you said, I went to a meditation day. I went to line dancing. I went to a wellness bazaar at the, in the lunchroom where there were different stations that I could test out different products and different services that LinkedIn offers. There was a healthy lunch. So all different things. But I bumped into a woman that I had, for, had just gone to work there and I, I forgot I, that she was even there and I didn't expect to see her. So I bumped into her. Her name is Melissa. And she was in her like running clothes. And I was like, hey, how are you? How are you enjoying your job so far? She said, I love it. This is my first Inday. And I said, well, what are you, you know, what are you doing to sort of celebrate it or to be part of Inday? And she said, well, given that I'm in a new job and I've been working like crazy, I haven't, I'm a big runner and I haven't had time to run a lot and I really miss it. So the way that I am celebrating, you know, wellness in my own life was she jogged from her apartment to the office. So she got to run. She went to a few things and then she was going to run home. And so everybody can express it in the way that they want. And then it provides opportunities for, again, to curate connections and conversations to ask people, oh, what did you do for your in-day? One of the other examples that I, I think I write about because I loved it so much was in, there was a creativity in-day and one woman shared, this actually may not be in the book, I can't remember, but she shared that she, again, had hadn't had time. She had a, a newborn who now was like a toddler and she had wanted to paint. She she actually was a decent artist um, and wanted to paint her daughter's room, but never had time. So that month during creativity in day, she stayed home and with her toddler daughter watching her painted the room. And to me, it's this blending of the personal and the professional and again, I just I love these stories. I love them, too. Wow. I mean, it does make you think LinkedIn, they've definitely got the employee experience really good when they're doing oh days God. like they're that. Un- well, and they're unbelievable. And they also have a, a culture committee that where people they don't even well, they have to volunteer, but you have to actually apply to be part of this culture committee to then work on these events because they just know how important that is. And you're almost like a like a cultural ambassador. I think that's a fantastic one. Now, I am bad at taking breaks during the workday. I just get really into it and I don't often, I don't take the time. It's not that I don't get the time. I don't take the time to get up and walk around. Now, you've got some great rituals around taking breaks. And I loved the recent one you shared called uh, 20 by 20 by 20. And you shared that with Ryan Seacrest, of all people. You were on a show with Ryan Seacrest. I saw you. I'm sorry. You like you have really gone down, like you've gone from Ryan Seacrest to Cahal Quinn. And I'm so sorry about that. But can you share, can you share the 20 by 20 by 20 breaks yeah, yeah, yeah. ritual? Um, well, it goes back to this idea that rituals are are good for us as people and good for business and they're good for our health and wellness. And I was on Ryan and Kelly on their show. It was a New Year's show. So it was all about New Year's resolutions and rituals and, and this wellness week. And what we talked about, I shared this new ritual, which was, you know, we're we're not taking breaks. We're sitting at our desk all day. And it was actually a ritual from a woman at Facebook who had said that she does something called 20 by 20 by 20. 
Every 20 minutes, she takes a 20-second break, 20 feet from her computer. And she sets the alarm, and it gets her up, it gets her moving, it gets her stretching, she moves her body. And again, it it's goes back to left to our own devices. Like, we're going to sit here all day. And so, yeah, I, I love that one as well. I love that. Imagine, like, it'd be great to get to the end of the day and go, how many 20 by 20 by 20s did I do today? Okay, I got to 17. It's almost like, you know, on your watch, you're tracking your, it's like getting the circle closed. It's like, how many 20 by 20s by 20s did I do today? I love that. And you probably know the more stressful days when you didn't do any. The other thing is Erica has got lots more of these in the taking a break part of the book. Now, we're getting towards the end. We've got the rituals for recognizing and rewarding people. Very quickly, I I thought these were great because sometimes the reward and recognition stuff can get very stale. I don't know about you, Erica, but I've worked in companies where you're like, it just becomes a little bit repetitive and it's like they're just going around to everyone to give everyone a award. Yeah. You do talk about uh, recognizing and rewarding people. Tell us a little bit more about those rituals. I loved the M&M one, by the way, from Microsoft that you included in, in this section of the book. But but tell us a little bit about reward and recognizing people as a ritual. I mean, again, I, I, I do feel like a little bit of a broken record here, but it, it, it gives you this opportunity to, to really bring your values to life. And so there's just some fun examples in the book about different awards and and yeah, how people link that to the award at the annual meeting or all different things. You know, one of the things I, I want to mention, though, in general, and I'll give some specifics on, on the recognition, is that when I was interviewing people for the book, to get to these examples, I asked this very magic question. And, you know, because I would explain what a ritual is and I would give them the three Ps and I would say, okay. So what are your rituals? And sometimes people still weren't exactly sure. So as I interviewed people and got better at it, figuring, helping them figure it out, I came up with this question that honest to goodness, every time I asked it 10 out of 10 times, the person was like, light bulb, that's our ritual. So the question is, I would say, you know, so when do you think employees feel most LinkedIn-ish, Chipotle-ish? you know, XYZ law firm or bank ish. And, you know, when I asked that question at LinkedIn, immediately they were like, oh my God, it's in day. That if, that if, that if a month went by and there was no in day, people would think they were selling the company again. I mean, that's how strong this was. And so, you know, the M&M example at Microsoft, which is just kind of funny that people would get on their anniversary um, of, you know, with their, with their years of tenure, that many M&Ms and pounds of M&Ms. And there was like this vision. And I saw these pictures of people literally with a wheelbarrow wheeling in, you know, <laughs> 20, 40, 50, you know, pounds of M&Ms. I mean, that's a whole separate conversation with this, you know, with the, you know, great resignation and the average tenure now at places more like 18 months, but that's a separate mm-hmm. story. But it could be, um, I think it was Bill Koningsberg from Horizon Media. You know, they talked about they had this Wizard of Oz award and immediately he said, you know what? We feel most like us when we get together in the summer and in the winter and we give out this award for the person who has just gone, you know, above and beyond. And that 
that really makes us feel like us. And again, it's linked to their values. So I, you know, as people, I, I called the book Rituals Roadmap because my hope is that you map out your own ex- employee experience and the values in your organization and then ask yourself that magic question. And if you don't know the answer, ask every, you know, ask everybody on your team because rituals can come from top down, bottom up, inside out. I think, you know, you don't want to do this in a vacuum. And then the last piece I'll say on this is if the ritual doesn't stick, you know, you try something, oh, you know, we want to do M&Ms or we want to do in-day. If something doesn't stick, you got to take your ego out and move on and and think about something that that works for your culture. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's really good advice, actually, Erica, because I think people do get a little caught up when something doesn't stick and they feel it's the people's fault or it couldn't be the idea. My team and I over the years have come up with lots of ideas that didn't stick. And you kind of go, right, I got to brush off. We got to try again. What part of it did work? And I love what you say, Eric, about linking it to the values, right? One of the companies I worked at, we were like, okay, well, we are here to be there for when customers need us. So let's reward people when they do stuff for customers that need us. When that old lady rings up the bank and she has had fraud on her account and we do everything to lock the account, make sure that she gets her money back ASAP. Guess what? Tony in the contact center who's made that happen, he's created magic for that person. He's living our values. He's winning today because he has done what we want him to do. And yeah. that is and why you're he's sharing going to that story through storytelling. Oh. About what he did to to oh, everybody who listen. Absolutely. Jesus. I mean, I used to bend people's ears with those stories. I would just be like, I'm sorry, but this is Tony. He's done this. He has created magic for that customer. He is living the values of this company. Yep. And that's yep. why he's getting rewarded, you know, and, and it's so important. So this is why Eric and I are so aligned on this stuff. I love it. Now, Erica, second last question. We are all about being better at work. What's the smallest possible change our listeners could do to have an impact and maybe a better day at work tomorrow or next week? You know, I would say, you know, I would I'm all about setting an intention. Um, And I would think also about what I what I said about, you know, beginnings and endings. And so, you know, pick one thing that you can do in the beginning of your day to start that day, you know, to start as you mean to go on and, and see if you can make a shift. Wow. Yes. I think that's a really good advice. Setting intentions. It's, it's hard sometimes, but it is so important. You know, Caroline Webb, I don't know if you know Caroline Webb. She says, I love Caroline. She was on my podcast and she said very similar to you. It's, you know, when, even when you're going into a meeting, set an intention for how you're going to show up in that meeting. So great advice there, Erica. I love that. So setting that intention for the day. Really great. Now we finish every interview with this question. Can you recall the best advice you've ever received that has made you better at your job, work, life? Talk less, listen more. I like it. Talk less. I should talk less so and listen more. That's really good advice, actually. Hearing what people are saying. So good. Love it. Love it. Thank you, Erica. That's great. Now, Erica, I've loved chatting to you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's just been a pleasure to have you on. I've wanted to get you on for ages. So this is super exciting. Now, for anyone that wants more information on Erica, you can go to ericakeswin.com. 
She's actually got a really beautiful website. I'd love to know who designed it. Might have to ask her. Uh, there you can find details on her books, the amazing books, Rituals Roadmap and her other books. She's also got keynotes, workshops and strategy sessions as well that uh, you can see more details on there on. Now, she's also got a podcast left to our own devices. She mentioned it through through this interview. It explores how to bring our human to work and life. And you can check it out because uh, I, I don't think you'll be disappointed. And Erica, I know you've got some other new stuff and stuff that uh, our listeners can access as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I have like an ebook, a mini ebook for Bring Your Human to Work and happy to share a copy with your listeners. They can just email me at erica at ericakeswin.com. And I'm working on a new project, a new book that's going to be out next fall called The Retention Revolution. So I'm actively working on that and interviewing people. And if anybody has some fun stories, as you know, I'm all about the stories, you know, stories to share about onboarding and about flexibility and about professional development, all of these things, you know, reach out. would love to hear from you. I bet you're going to hear from a lot of people on that. And sign me up, Erica. I would love to be part of that. Erica, it's just been a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope we get to talk again soon. When that new book comes out, we'll have you on. Great. Thank you, Erica. Have a great day. Thank you. Take care. Welcome to Let's Take This Offline. Hello there, Annette. What did you think of the amazing Erica? Hi, Kahal, and hi to all of our listeners out there in Better at Work land. Some really great practical tips and insights there, Kahal. She was great, wasn't she? She's high energy. And I was laughing because, I mean, I did see she was on with Ryan Seacrest and then she got stuck with me. But she was so much fun to interview Annette and I suppose, you know, a kindred spirit for myself because I love all that employee engagement creating moments for employees, making the employee experience as as good as we can. I mean, you're the same in it. You've always loved customer experience, but you love the employee experience as well. I do, Kahal. It's been something that I've been thinking about, working on for 20 plus years and that how that rolls down from you know, working on your, as a product manager and marketer, working on your product, getting that right, then realizing you've got to have really great marketing to generate those inquiries and you can have great products in marketing but if the customer experience is poor you've got to fix the customer experience you can't have a great customer experience at the at the expense of your people in a poor people experience where your teams are filling all the gaps and then you know, fix the employee experience of the process, there's still that broader employee experience of the onboarding, the reviews and then dealing with the issues and challenges. So that, that whole ecosystem, the people experience so being just as, as important as your customer's experience. Absolutely. And that was kind of why I wanted to get Erica on the podcast. I love, you know, a lot of her tagline is the human way to transform everyday workplaces and create workplace magic. I mean, it's so true. You know, you want to have a happier day at work. We talk about on this podcast when work is better, life is better. And, you know, she's really at the forefront of bringing the human to everyday work. So I think she's great. Um, Now, Annette, what are your three takeaways from the discussion with Erica? My three takeaways, Kahal, the first one is around that the science of rituals and understanding rituals you already have in your working life and, and your home life and 
that understanding of why they're important so that they ground us, they help us find order and the chaos, the messiness of day-to-day life. And then that also then in turn gives us that sense of belonging, which is so important through all of the episodes we've had, Kahala, around a sense of belonging through a best friend at work, connection at work, and how that drives our sense of well-being as well as our engagement and that you know discretionary effort and that so that connection for our souls and for our work and that rituals allow us to connect to purpose. So I loved how that all comes together. What about number two? I love the three Ps as a product manager and a marketer of many years. I love the five Ps and the seven Ps. I love these three Ps. So that psychological safety plus purpose, the second P equals performance. And so with psychological safety, again, that's where we have that sense of belonging. And really interesting there, the research Erica points to around when you have that psychological safety and the sense of belonging that flows from that, collaboration and productivity double for the companies we work for and also for ourselves and what we can achieve. And I love that Erica mentioned that um, the leader talking last in in a check-in to create that sense of safety. And it reminds me of that concept of the obligation to dissent. And, you know, it's, it's something that's used in the military and also in large companies. I know McKinsey used this around when a strategy or a proposal or is, is presented to a team or decision to be made, there's that agreed obligation to dissent going around the table, starting with the most junior person and having that commitment to dissent, not in a mischievous way or being devil's advocate just for the sake of it, but sharing your concerns and then the leader going last so that people aren't swayed to align to the bias of what the leader thinks, but also gives the leader the real benefit of hearing everyone else's perspectives and being able to synthesize. And so I, I really love that hearing from Erica around the leader going last as well. I've definitely worked in places where even if the leader did talk last, people felt like, oh, I better say they know the leader well. So they kind of go, oh, I better align with what I think they're going Mm. to say. Not every culture is going to be like that. But that's where I think the psychological safety comes in, where that manager or more senior person has to, even if they disagree with your point, that they do it in a respectful way and that you feel encouraged to give a point in the future, but just maybe you didn't have the context around why maybe that may not work right now, but doing it in a respectful way. I hate when some leaders shut people down because they've got extra information that the person in the team would have no way of knowing that. What was your third one, Annette? The third one was really something that I loved. I really loved the innovation at Gusto that Erica shared around that offer celebration and how positive that was and and also that insight from someone who was hired how it really changed or helped her and how she was going to approach that new job by understanding from that call the focus the priorities the insights from everyone who was involved in that decision to hire her so I I, I just I love that as a um, you know understanding those moments of truth and then within the people experience ecosystem and creating something that it probably couldn't be better than that, that everyone who has been involved in making a job offer to you is there to welcome you. And it also, I think, Kahal, it's around people committing to that person 
as well. So when they come on board, we're all going to be here to help you and commit to you and your success. There, I think there was something really powerful in that show of commitment and promise, both in terms of how that person feels, but also in terms of the ritual of we're hiring someone, this is a big deal, and we are going to help them come on board here and say why we support them joining us. I love that one too, Annette. I thought that was so smart. The other one that I love, Kahal, is the LinkedIn in day. That oh, was yes. so interesting. That And also listening to Erica around the governance that LinkedIn have around that with their culture yes. committee and you need to apply yes. to work on an event. So having that, then, you know, the cultural ambassador or the culture carrier and having that governance around and it's very transparent and clearly valued and giving people who worked at LinkedIn permission on all of those things around well-being or around creativity to think about that within their own lives and their own roles and give that time with all with all of that information around them to help them invest in in that area of their lives and their work. I loved that example too, Annette, and and it was why I brought it up in the interview even because I just thought, what a great one. And I was like, oh, wouldn't it be lovely to work at LinkedIn? It sounds great. Someone would probably email us now and go, no, it's not that great. But it, it does sound great. And all I ever hear is positive uh, things about there. And to your point about having those culture committees or culture champions, I've definitely seen that work in in other companies, you know, even, you know, um, in banks, I've seen, you know, having culture champions. And it certainly works. You've got to invest the time in it. When I worked at Westpac, we had a culture ambassadors for the division we were in, and it worked really well. You, but you... As the kind of head of that, you had to bring those people together often. You had to create a shared purpose. You had to give them context, information, bring that together. And I, I have definitely seen great success with with having culture champions. But it's certainly you have to invest in it. And it's great to see a company like LinkedIn. I love the point you made, Kahal, around and when you are developing rituals being really ready to go okay that didn't work that didn't work yes. and stepping aside <laughs> from ego mark it down and move on as they do in retail and exactly. you know and, and also that insight from erica around how do you know which rituals are working for you and what are your rituals in your team mm. your family your company that question around okay well when do we most feel like we are our collective selves as yes, as the team yes. from Better at Work or the team the team from LinkedIn or the team from Gusto or the team from Telstra, wherever it might be, and, you know, asking those questions and uncovering there and understanding what are your existing rituals that you might not actually recognize as rituals and, and valuing those like the like the sweet trolley and the power yes. of that and, and what you might lose by getting rid of it. I Look, I thought it was great. And, and thank you, Annette. They were three great takeaways. The only thing, I mean, I don't really have much to add because you covered a lot of it there. She had great examples like that throughout the book. I also loved, she talked a little bit, which we didn't talk about in the interview. In the book, she talks about eating. The ritual of eating is quite an important one. And actually, she said, rituals for the most important meal of the day, the one that we share with other people. And I think great, I've often in the past maybe not been great on doing like team dinners and things like that. Um, and probably in hindsight, it's there. they are good to do because it's the ritual of of what do they say, breaking bread together, relaxes people, etc. 
I think now that we're out of COVID times, you know, that's certainly something I would be bringing back and doing more of. I think we just lost it a little bit the last few years. But I love that idea of bringing the team together. We, you know, certainly and in companies I've worked at, we've had morning teas and people do really relax with the morning tea and you have a little award ceremony and you get cakes and you get sausage rolls and people have a good laugh. It's a half hour out and they get to chat with their colleagues. These are simple things in it that uh, are, are little rituals that you can bring into your company that make everyone feel more connected. We have a question from Sally. I am an engineer originally, but I now work in more senior role within a mostly male dominated company. It sounds like it's a heavy industry job in it. Uh, she didn't uh, tell us exactly what industry, but uh, I get the sense an engineer, maybe it's construction, something like that. I work a lot in transforming teams and ensuring they are running well. This keeps me really busy and I do enjoy it. However, my partner and I have two kids and I feel I need more balance. I really would like to work three to four days a week. The company has refused this. That's come directly from HR. And they said she cannot do a senior role part time. And that if I wanted to stay on in the company and do part time, I would have to step back a level. So my questions are, have you seen senior roles work effectively part time? And two, how do they work? What approach is taken? Wow, in it. A big question from Sally there. What are your initial thoughts on on the questions there? It sounds like a, a lady wants to put her family first, has gone and done the right thing and said, can I do this? They've said no. Take a step back in your career. Have you seen senior roles work effectively part time? And how do they work? What approach is taken? What do you think in it? Kahal, I have seen senior roles work on a part-time basis. There's a lot to do to organise to make this happen and turn potentially turn the situation around at her current employer and then make a broader plan. So the first step, I think, is for Sally to carve out some time for herself to make this plan. And it might be taking a day off work where there's no work, no kids, and having some time in a shared workplace to work on the plan. And the first part of that plan is two things. If Sally can, organizing to find a coach. There's a view of you can't go and do this role part-time. Can she get a coach to help her work this through? And also a mentor. And the way I differentiate between a coach and a mentor, a coach is skilled like Coach Meg, Margaret Moore, described in our last episode of helping you excavate out to getting to that, you know, your authentic self, your curiosity, your understanding of the world and, and your mastery and uh, helping you excavate away the messiness and chaos of life. So a coach, but then also um, to spend that time on Sally identifying some people who may be a good mentor for her. So people with families who have been down this path ahead of her might be five, 10 years ahead and connect with them. And if she doesn't know anyone, start asking people through everyone's contact in LinkedIn to find someone who has been down a path, the path that she wants to go down and um, connect with them. And then, you know, from that planning, Sally, it might be that you've then you've then determined, are you okay to try this with some tweaks with the help of a coach and a mentor for three to six months? So doing some things that can help you 
make this work or putting some ideas to your employer of how this can work for both of you and be a win-win. My personal view here, Kahal, is stepping back is is a no. I think that when you've invested your this time and effort in your career, sometimes stepping back can be even harder because you might be working for someone who's not as competent, not as skilled, it becomes more stressful. So it might be actually taking some time out. Maybe she needs to take two or three months uh, leave without pay to you know catch up on health, fitness, children, things, and then come back to this role. It sounds like the company she's at has refused. And I like your idea of maybe coming up with a plan and maybe, you know, she should make one last attempt with the company and say, mm, that's what, yeah. yeah, say this is kind of what I'm thinking. But I, because I, I had come from it from a different angle, I, I was assuming she was going to leave and she's planning for the next job that she's interviewed where she can go in first day into a part time role and have we seen it work. But I like your idea, right? Maybe it is that she takes some little bit of time out. She synthesizes her thoughts don't take a they've said no that's it could be a knee-jerk reaction say okay well i'm going to get out of here is there some way of spending some time on the plan with some really good advice and doing the pros and cons of the options because these are some of the other things of how i have seen it work kahala when senior roles with a family and, and the four or five things that you can do to make it easier and potentially it's if they're saying part-time is you know three days a week is is not an option, would they be open to trialing a nine-day fortnight? The second thing is around, does Sally have a strong second in charge in her team that she can rely on? Is there an option here for that person to step up on that one day a fortnight? See how that goes. And that might be able to go to one day a week. Where I've seen this work is with that person who's stepping up to cover for Sally while she's away is that that person needs to get paid relief and higher duties and what's in it for that person is that they're getting to step up and um, cover for Sally on those days and then but also for the company what's in it for the company they've got more succession planning yes. that there is a, yes. they can see how this person is it's it actually is an insurance policy for them it's good for that person good for Sally good so it's a win-win all around it might be that finding that next senior role takes six, nine, 12 months to find that role and Sally doesn't want to get there burnt exhausted. out, exhausted. Yeah. And that's where the coach and the mentor who's, who's managed this juggle previously, some more insights that they might have in, in Sally specifically. I have certainly seen senior roles work effectively when you do part-time. When I worked at Goldman Sachs, I saw lots of people do it. I saw two women do it where they both went to the boss and they were both working mothers and they agreed to do the role part time. They would overlap on a Wednesday. So, you know, that was a really good way they would be in together. So they would uh, one of them would work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The other would work Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It worked really well. And the company got a lot out of it as well. They've got succession planning, right? They've got more people in leadership roles. And that's often the case. Companies often want more females in leadership roles. Well, guess what? Give them the option to work together part time and they share the role. So I've definitely seen it work effectively. I think you made a great point there, Annette. 
if you have a second in command that uh, can step up is fantastic. I've seen them work really well when the person has someone that is kind of ready to do the job and it's a great opportunity for them. So absolutely, I've seen it work really well there. I've also seen it, you know, sometimes it doesn't work as well in huge operational type roles where you may have a large operations team. Those roles are a little bit more tricky to do it in, easier in more strategy or transformation roles. That's just my opinion. I certainly see it work in the larger ones, but that's where the second in command or that person to be there when you're away on your days, away from the office is really critical. I think, uh, Sally, for you, the next advice is really good. The coach, seeing if you can get this part-time role in the current place. If that's not the case, then maybe it is taking a break, stepping back and going, what really is next for you? And making sure that the role is of interest as well. You want those three or four days you're working to be really interesting. I definitely think you want to keep the level you're at, right? You don't want to be stepping back even in a new company. So really thinking about that and really looking at companies that have hired people on a part-time basis. I mean, a lot of companies are doing it now, Annette. It's a really big thing. People want more flex. There's something also around that language around part-time and full-time. And I think it's around changing that to the request being to work flexibly. It's a part-time as a descriptor is loaded. Sally, we hope that helped. It's a tough one because I'm sure you're feeling a little disappointed in the company you're at. Maybe think about this as an opportunity to do something better different. It sounds like you've made the decision and maybe take some time out to set that up and work through it. And as Annette and I often say, get in the coffees with people who are doing jobs that you like. We'll connect you with some people as well, Sally. You know, I think Annette and I, we have a few people in mind that are great female, particularly female ambassadors for having senior roles and still working flexibly. So, and having cultures within their company where they absolutely support it. So we will connect you as well, Sally. So don't worry, we'll send you some names and uh, we'll do some introductions for you. But know that you've made a great decision. You know, your gut is telling you, you want to spend more time with your family. The years fly by very quickly. So well done on you for making that decision. And now it's about finding the role that works well with your life. Thank you so much, Annette, as always, for your valuable insights, stories, and of course, your lovely approach to it all. We really appreciate it. And for our listeners, that is it for season one of Better at Work. We hope you have enjoyed it. Annette, you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. I have, Kahan. I can't believe we've made it to 10 episodes. It's just been so great. And I really want to say as well, a big thanks to all of our guests. They have been fantastic giving of their time. We've really enjoyed the discussions. And um, thank you to all of the listeners as well. We're really shocked at how many <laughs> listeners we've had and the comments and engagement with the show. It's just surpassed anything we could have thought of when we first started the podcast. So thank you so much. Late October, we'll be back with season two. And we have some great guests coming up, some great work futurists uh, talking about the future of work. We're going to have some people on telling us about how to make your career choices even better and how uh, to think about your career in a smarter way. And we are going to have some discussions with some people who are living their best lives at work right now and hearing from them and how they are making it work for them in their life. Annette, are you going to come back? 
definitely. Do subscribe to us as well. And please give us a like or comment because that does help other people find the podcast. So if you've been listening to all 10 episodes or you've only listened to one, there's plenty more out there. We hope that we will see you back here in late October for more Better at Work because Annette, as we say, when work is better, life is better. Exactly. Okay, thanks everyone. We'll see you very, very soon. Thanks, Annette. Thanks, Gav. Bye, everyone. Thanks, Bye, everyone. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Better at Work with me, Carl Quinlan. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and rate, review or subscribe as this helps others find the podcast. For more practical tips, simple tools and ideas on how to aim for betterness, head on over to betteratwork.com.au and sign up for our newsletter. Until next time, watch out for those work jerks and keep reaching for better.